Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing. We just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. Welcome everybody to Morning Walk with the Artist Forge. My name is Nicole York. I will be your host. And today we're going to be talking about scaling up your business. This was one of the more voted on options that we gave folks in the Facebook community as far as topics went and people wanted to know, how do we scale up our businesses? How do we do that? First, let's talk a little bit about what scaling up your business actually means. So for many of us who get started in our art careers, we are solopreneurs. We are sole proprietors. It is just us and our ability to make things and sell things to the world. And there are some bottlenecks there, right? If something happens to us, we can't keep selling our work. If there is a hiccup or we break a leg or anything else happens, uh, obviously that's gonna cause our income to be stunted. And then also we can only make as much as we can make. So I can only make a certain amount of work per day because I'm one person, I have time limits. I can only photograph a certain number of clients per week and I will never photograph more than that because I can't. So we have options there when we decide that we want more business or more income or more time, we can do a few different things. We can start charging more for our work so that we bring down the amount of work we do and charge more for it or and we can scale up our businesses, meaning we can increase our ability to take more clients and get more income that way. Many of us don't often think of this option when we're first beginning, because in a big way, we are kind of the heart of our businesses and what we do, we find to be the important part. And so we don't consider the idea that maybe we can grow this in the future. And so we don't build the framework that's required in order to be able to do that. It just never crosses our mind that that's a thing. But as we just finished a huge section on mastering the business of art, I'm glad we're gonna talk about this because being able to scale up your business means you potentially have more free time once you have instituted the kind of systems and things that you need to have oversight of your business. So you may give yourself more time, you may give yourself more income, and you give yourself a little bit more freedom to be able to move, to travel, to do other things in your life that you want to be able to do without being 100% tied to your ability to be productive. So it's an important thing to chat about. And I know I'm going to be definitely relying on you a good deal, Kat, because that's one of the things you've been able to do that... Uh, Many photographers just never venture into that arena. And then for artists, um, it often becomes difficult because a big part of the art that we make is, is purely ours, right? Um, in our own style. But even authors have been able to do this. And that's something that I wanna talk about as well. So the good parts, the parts that we want to be able to take and use for scaling up our business, because we're only one person and we only have so much time. And there are many of us who don't want to do the work that it takes to sell a piece of art for $10,000, because that is a legitimate career path you can take, but it does mean that a good amount of your time and effort has to go into the kind of networking and hard sales. I don't mean hard sales, but those sales take a lot of effort. If you wanna sell a piece for that much, um, first, you have to build a reputation for selling pieces for that much, which means you have to find clients, which means you have to convince them that your work is worth it. And that takes a lot of time and effort. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about that, you can head over to The Art of Selling Art on Facebook. It's run by a friend of mine, Jason Matthias. He is a successful fine artist based out of Seattle. And he began The Art of Selling Art uh, a couple of years ago after I wrote an article about him for F-Stoppers. He's got really fantastic first-hand advice 
that he's very generous with and a lot of people in there chat about that so if that's the route you want to take it is a worthwhile route to go but it requires a different amount that's not true it's not a different amount of effort but it's a different kind of effort um, so consider that as one option and then the option we're going to be talking about is scaling up so how do we make our businesses bigger more profitable more productive how do we do that so we're going to begin obviously by talking to the panelists today and then if you are in the audience today and you have questions about this or if you have done something similar even if it was in a non-art related business there's still really great tips and tricks we can take from you so if you have something to share I'm going to ask you to put your hand up at about the halfway mark so about 30 minutes in or so get your hand up there and we will bring you up but in the meantime panelists scaling up our businesses what does that look like what do we got to keep in mind what do we need to know good morning everyone i think i'm going to kick it off by saying that you know going back to um when we discussed um where we see ourselves and, and building building that vision of where we want to be and when you want to scale up your business i think the first thing to do is to actually define what that is you know get a mental kind of relatively detailed mental image of what does that mean for me because the word scaling up could mean many many different things so you look at where you are today and you know you know build that that future that you want to walk into define it well and say, is that something from a mindset perspective I can see myself doing? Because there's a huge difference between, say, what I do now, which is I, you know, I'm in a comfort zone. I don't, uh, I, you know, I, I haven't scaled my business. It is what it is. I'm happy doing it. I want to scale it, but I'm not there yet in terms of mindset. And, and you really have to question, is it something I am willing to do? Is it a lifestyle I want to live? Is it a context that I'm going to be comfortable in or, or maybe relatively comfortable in terms of being there and, and get kind of that first, yes, I can see myself doing that. And therefore, now I can backtrack and say, what are the steps that I need to take? And next question is, am I willing to take those steps? Am I willing to do the work? Because the work is, I would assume, is completely different. In terms of volume, some things could be exponentially more difficult. Some things could be easier if you offload properly and so on. But so, that, so go through this mental process of what does it look like and what is involved and am I willing to do the work that goes with it? That's a great, great thing to start off with just making sure that we ask ourselves those questions because clearly knowing the answer to those questions is going to determine our next steps. For example, if I don't want to necessarily run the business that I'm expanding, I want to be a producer in the business that I'm expanding. I'm not going to be looking for another artist, right? I'm going to be looking for a manager first. I'm going to be looking for somebody who can direct everyone in what needs to be done. If I want to continue to produce, some writers will do this, um, looking for people to manage their career so that they can just continue to write because they don't want to do the other work that is uh, involved. They don't want to manage multiple people. They just want to be able to write books and they need somebody to manage all of that side for them. As opposed to if I want to be the manager and I'm opening up several businesses, my time is going to be less spent in the creation of products and more spent in managing the businesses. So that's certainly something that you have to keep in mind. And uh, whether or not you want your life to look like that, I think that's a really great point, Basam, to take into the beginning of this uh, this exercise. So yeah, I think that up. You, yeah, you brought something to mind, just a different way of saying it. There's, you gotta look at what are the conditions of success for scaling up my business. And sometimes, the, you know, whether it's three or four conditions that you say, those are kind of fundamental things that need to be in place for me to be able to scale up then it's a matter of timeline of you know you have to get those things done before you actually scale up sometimes example that you gave is, is excellent if you don't want to manage the business you want to have somebody manage it well you may not want to wait till you're scaled up to hire somebody you may want to hire somebody right now so you could start scaling up the business with that person yes it's an investment up front but it's a condition of success that will facilitate uh, 
you know, maybe bigger growth later or, or, or less painful growth or more organized growth. Right? So sure. conditions, conditions of success and timing of each is kind of critical in, 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 in having a smooth ramp up. Right. And as another example, if you do, if you're in that position where you want to hire a manager, before you do that, you may need to concentrate on making a system of standard operating procedures so that you have something physical you can hand over to your manager so that they can see how you have been doing everything. Um, and they have a template to work off of because you're going to have to onboard them. So being able to have something like that um, may be one of those conditions that you have to do before you can hire somebody. So I think this is a really strong place to start the conversation, just understanding that if scaling up is something that you want to do, there are going to be exactly what you said, Basam, those conditions for success that you have to consider before you start moving forward, which may require a change in the framework of what you're currently doing in order to get to where you want to go. So keeping that in mind. And maybe I'll just add three examples that we can build on or at least use. And, you know, in my case, if I look very quickly at what do I need, what are the, the you know, very tactical conditions of success for me to scale up? Well, there's three things. Right. Number one, I've got to find reliable retouching because I cannot sustain doing retouching by myself if I want to scale the business. Number two, I have to find a solution for a hair and makeup artist that is always there when I need her or him. Right. And not just kind of have to get caught in scheduling and see, are you available? You're not available. If you're going to be consistent, you're going to have to have somebody there all the time. Number three, I have to have some more robust systems in terms of not necessarily automating things, but at least, you know, tighter systems in terms of doing all the, the clerical and, and administrative work that goes with booking shoots and, and doing things like that. Those are three things I've got to get in place before I even think of scaling up. Yeah, fantastic examples. Okay, so keeping these things in mind, I'm going to poke you a little bit, Kat, because um, I would love to hear from your perspective, from a portrait photographer's perspective. What does it look like? What are some of the things people need to keep in mind if they want to scale up their business? Where did I go wrong? Um, you know, talking about the the SOPs is is a big one, um, and bringing on a, a manager even before you've scaled is going to be pretty clutch in that sort of growth. Um, I tried doing some of those things. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm on a few different iterations of, of management. Uh, I think understanding what that scale up means for you is pretty crucial. Uh, you know, is it, do you want, you know, just a house of other photographers working and working so you can develop just passive income and you don't have to shoot its hands off. It's just sort of a photo studio in a box kind of situation. Or is it something where um, you still want to be involved, but you know, you want to generate more revenue uh, because those are two very different answers. Um, more revenue is different than just cut and paste. Um, with you know 20 other photographers and and running rampart through your studio uh understanding the type of person that you need you know are you creating a jc penny type environment or is it more of a boutique experience um because at the end of the day if it's on the boutique side then you really need those styles to be similar and you cannot completely 100% replicate a style. Um, the, the photographer will always come through in that end result, but having a cohesive style throughout all of your photographers takes training. Um, and I would say easily like takes at least a year of them working with you under you to get to a place where you know, you can show folios from XYZ photographers, even with yours. And if it's not cohesive, like say I brought somebody on that was doing sort of a really loved Peter Hurley style. And then somebody else came on who really loved Bella Kotek style. And then you have my style. Those are three vastly different. And when you have that 
vast difference in offering. It's actually harder to sell than it is if everyone's in a similar vein. Um, and then it becomes more a matter of availability and price point, which allows your volume to keep up with you. Um, and I know that's that's a lot in, in one bullet point. Um, but yes, I would say systems management and understanding like training is an investment. And if you're scaling, you're in it for the long haul. I'm so glad you brought that up, Kat. I was thinking as you were saying that, how much that applies to um, artists as well, because obviously as an artist, you are gonna develop a really signature style, just like a photographer. Um, everybody has something that they're known for. And so scaling up for you, if the goal is to bring in more people, may look like training somebody for a long amount of time in order for them to be able to um, work in the style that you do so that you can give clients what it is that they want or need. Um, and so for photographers also, we have to recognize that a lot of this scaling up is gonna come with upfront costs. So we may be bringing in managers or other artists before we actually have the income that that scaling up is gonna give us. So that's something we have to consider whether that's, you know, we have to pare things down and put money for away for a while before we can make those steps, whether that's a small business loan, whatever that looks like for us, is something we have to consider because it absolutely is an upfront cost. Um, and of course there's creative ways to deal with that, right? You could look for photography students who are on their way out of school who want to come in and do some kind of an internship and uh, you know you can train them up that way that was is going to lessen your cost a little bit but it's going to require something of you in time so i i can't say for every state but i know for washington state if you take an intern an unpaid intern you have to give them college level education in whatever field it is that you're taking them into so you actually do have to develop some kind of a plan for getting them where you want them to be so that they are hireable by the end of that experience. Um, and this was, sorry, there's a big diesel truck <laughs> that just showed up out of nowhere. Um, so you do have to look at whatever laws your state has in place, if that's something that seems like it's a good idea for you. But in any case, there's gonna be a requirement of you upfront, whether that's in time or money or both. And so, making sure you take those considerations um, into consideration beforehand, I think is gonna be a really important step. And then of course that ties into what we talked about before, which is you really do have to have clarity on what scaling up looks like for you, whether that is, I want more artists working under me, or I need an entirely separate location, like I need to open a second studio, or I want to be producing and have somebody manage everything for me. So I'm looking for, a really, you know, fantastic business manager with a good head on their shoulders who can manage both me and the other artists, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it is, you need to have that clarity up front and then understand what kind of investment that's going to take from you. And because we mentioned artists, I'm going to mention um, writers as well and just use this as an example. So many people know about James Patterson. Probably folks who are listening today have read his books or heard or seen his books in the store. He does not write most of his books. He has a stable of writers that he manages because the whole point is that James Patterson has built a brand that has really recognizable hallmarks. And then he can bring in writers who work underneath him that can hit those story points and make sure they're paying attention to those tropes and the genres that he writes in so that those books at the end have become not necessarily written by James Patterson, but they are a James Patterson book, if that makes any sense. So from an art perspective, we have a couple of options there. We can either train other artists in our style. If we're doing something that is not solely reliant upon us, we can license other artists to work under our name, which is similar to what James Patterson is doing. He still has oversight, of course. Or we can find a way to scale up what we can sell. So if you are selling individual pieces of art, you can start doing production. So you can make prints of those art and those prints may sell for a retail price while the original art sells for um, a higher cost. Maybe your originals are 10 grand a piece, but the retail pieces are only 500. And so much easier for people to get their hands on. 
you can also, depending on the form of art you're doing, you can um, make molds of things. So if you are a sculptor and you want people to be able to get their hands on your work, you can mold um, those things so that you can make them in bulk and then sell them at a retail cost. So scaling up is gonna look incredibly different depending on what your goals are. But even if you're an artist, you don't have to be afraid of the fact that scaling up may look like you're not necessarily creating all of the individual pieces all the time. It's not strictly necessary from a business perspective. So in any case, the possibilities are there, but that clarity is important. And then as Kat mentioned, understanding the investment upfront that it's gonna take depending on where you wanna go is super important also. So we're starting to near the halfway mark. Would love for anybody in the audience today, if you've been on this journey, no matter how, or if you have questions, now is the time to raise your hand. Um, Matt, Becca, do you guys have any thoughts on scaling up your business, what that might like look like or what we would need to keep in mind as artists? I'm sitting here taking notes because this is exactly where I wanna go this year. And I'm in the process of drawing out those systems and what I need, what it looks like, and developing that and then going to prioritize the order of operation for how I get it all done. Like I said, it starts with management. Um, so, you know, the things that I struggle with specifically are the admin tasks and like the Psalm said, the retouching in terms of spending all my time in those areas rather than being able to build the business like I want. So I'm just as interested in this conversation as everybody else. Um, so yeah, but this is on my, my goal list for this year is to grow beyond the single person operation. So uh, this is a really timely conversation, but I don't have much more to add than that. I'm just listening. Well, good. I'm going to ask you a couple questions then. So as you're thinking about this year and what that looks like for you, what are some of the things that you have already been thinking you need to have in order to make this happen? Well, a lot of the things that I've been doing behind the scenes are getting things like the website totally cleaned up and optimized um, so that when people interact with the website, not only are they getting the education, but they're able to connect with me very, very easily. That is all connected to 17 hats, which is going to automate um, some of the booking process. And then I'm also, pardon me, I gotta, I'm walking with the dog and I got a car coming. Um, so it's going to automate part of that booking process. And then I'm also, you know, connecting to MailChimp for the loss leaders and set up nurturing campaigns. All of the stuff that I do manually now, I want to be able to automate that. So going through making sure that my systems are all connected in the way that I need them to be for the way that I interact with my clients, secondarily getting a manager to manage all of that on a day-to-day -day basis um, and do some of the other things that I need, ordering of um, retouching, ordering of product, things like that. Um, the retoucher, I'm in the process of evaluating a couple of different retouching uh, houses right now to see if, you know, on the one-shot deal, are they going to be able to give me what I need without then having to go back in and do a lot of extra work myself. And then um, the makeup artist as well. I have someone that I contract with on an individual uh, shoot basis, but would really love to have someone in-house, not only so that I could not have to worry about booking, but also be able to do more creative work on a whim because they're already there. So um, yeah, these are all the things that I'm, I'm thinking about putting in place and it's going to be a slow, steady roll, but I'll get there. Okay. Beautiful. I love that. I see we've got some hands up and we're going to grab folks. Um, but first I want to make sure we have a chance to hear from Becca from an artist perspective. Um, I don't know if this is something that you have been considering yet or just something that you know of, or I don't know where you stand on the issue, but I'm super curious as you know, a digital artist, as somebody who works primarily in that space, what are your thoughts on the idea of scaling up? Yeah, this uh, you actually hit a lot of the points that I was thinking of bringing up, uh, since you know what it's like to live this exciting artist life. Um, but scaling up has actually been on my mind a lot lately, because I'm finally getting my youngest spawn off to school in the next year, so I can finally dedicate a lot more time than I've had. Um, 
And I mean, like when it comes to working primarily on commission, uh, it's difficult to think of scaling in more traditional ways um, because what is my product? My product is my brain and I can't exactly clone that out and uh, start dishing it out into other people. Um, but uh, a couple ways of doing this um, would be A, to pursue um, primarily the work that I do when I am working as an art director or production designer, where then I'm delegating tasks out to a team of artists. So things like maybe opening a production studio would be a way to scale out that idea factory, if you will. Um, but more than that, and what's been more kind of on my radar recently has been finding ways to diversify where my revenue is coming from. So yes, I love working on commission. I get to work on really cool stuff with really cool people and make really cool things all the time, but it also takes up all my time. So what are ways that I could then still be in the process of creating art in a way that isn't eating up as much of that time and giving me more freedom uh, in so many other ways. So things like creating assets. Um, so one thing I've been trying to organize for myself is um, creating like 3D assets uh, to sell. So then it's kind of creating this passive revenue stream if people are buying them. Also things like educational content. Um, I have done Photoshop tutorials in the past and I'd like to do more of that. So that's something again that I can put work into one single time and then it can continue to create revenue for me if it does well. Uh, things like stock photography and texture and brushes and things like that are also on my radar right now and kind of on my to-do list for the next year. So finding ways to diversify my skill set, or rather diversify things I can sell that utilize the skill set that I already have, and then give me some of that more freedom to sit back, relax, and scale the business from there. Yes, I love that. Okay, so artists, I hope you were listening, because for many of us, um, we are not prepared to give up the creative control of the things that we make. Those are very deeply rooted in who we are, and so the idea of having a stable of artists under our name or licensing our name or whatever um, can be incredibly uncomfortable. And so being able to diversify our offerings is a fantastic way that we can scale up our income. It does require some upfront effort, meaning you do have to have, as Matt mentioned before, really fantastic systems in place. You want as much of the bulk of the workload to be funneled through a really good system as possible so you can keep things clean, you can keep track of things, which is gonna be a huge part for you if you're selling multiple things in multiple areas. You need to know what's going out, what's coming in and how you can manage all of those assets. So that may be as simple as having um, a fulfillment company that can print things off for you and drop ship them directly to whoever's buying them. Or that may look like you are licensing things in particular. And if you are licensing assets, so if you've never heard of Creative Market, it's a really fantastic place. Go look at them on the web. Um, you can license individual pieces of art or bulk packages of pieces of art from these designers. And the licensing is built right into the platform. So instead of having um, somebody contact you directly and say, hey, let's work out how I can license this for a book cover, you already have things that are built into those platforms so that when people find your art, they can license it that way. And then you just receive the commission from the website based upon however folks are buying it. So you have the option of licensing your work. You have the option of creating prints and selling those in bulk. You have the option of selling assets of your work. If you work digitally, of course, there's the digital asset options that Becca mentioned, things from like brushes to actions, et cetera. There's education. So there are a lot of different ways that you can step into um, scalability where you can be earning more money and be larger in general that don't require you to allow people to step into your shoes as the artist. So definitely something to consider. Matt, yeah, go ahead and then we'll hear from Trish, Carol, and Joshua. Yeah, just a really quick point. And it's something that I'm surprised I, I didn't mention earlier or Kat didn't mention or even Bassam. Um, know your numbers. Know your numbers before you scale up. It's, it's great to want to grow, but if you don't have the, clear, the clarity on what your bottom line looks like and can you afford to do some of this, just make sure you know that. And I know you'd mentioned taking out a loan or something at the beginning, but just having that clarity, it's a great exercise to go through no matter where you are in the business, whether scaling up is this year or five years off, just get to know your numbers inside and out. Um, that way you'll know when you're ready or when you're not. Yeah, fantastic point. Super important. All right. 
So Trish, let's hear from you. Good morning. Um, first of all, thank you so much for bringing up this topic because this is um, something that I've been, been like an inner struggle with this uh, particular scaling or the idea of scaling. And um, now I know why, not that I didn't know before, why everyone on the panel is a, is a mentor is because they literally hit every point <laughs> that I was going to um, bring up. Um, but for me, I think part of this whole process, and I know it was mentioned is, and I know Kat is big on this, is systems. Um, last year for me was a really huge year of growth, like as far as uh, bringing clientele into my business, earning a livable wage, and so on and so forth. And then I found that I was um, a little overwhelmed because I, I don't necessarily have all my systems in place because I've, I've never been that busy. I've never been able to sustain, or not that I've never been able to sustain, but I, I've never had the opportunity to sustain. So, um, so I think systems are a huge, um, a huge part of being able to grow and to be able to create um, or, or uh, to level up. And so, I think coming up with that really great plan uh, is super important and understanding where you want to go. I actually had a, um, a coach come in um, and we did a huge brain dump and she created these, <laughs> I guess, a giant post-it um, of what was in my head, where I wanted to go. Um, and there were so many facets to being able to, to do that uh, or for what I wanted. And it was, really organized and I think that that I think that's also really super important is to have a brain dump of everything that you really really want to do um, and then figure out systematically how you want to achieve each of those things um, so that you're not overwhelming yourself and you're not taking it all on as one big project but as like um, uh, Sue mentioned this yesterday in in a cast you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a, a time? So that's kind of where I'm at as far as looking at that, but I'm still looking at this huge, huge project. And for me, it starts with systems. Yeah, that's super important, Trish. And I'm, I'm really grateful you mentioned it. And I know we kind of glossed over it a little bit, but if you have not heard any of our discussions on business systems, maybe that's one we should revisit in the near future, but you need, to systematize what you're doing for several reasons. One, for consistency. Two, because it gives you a blueprint of what you're doing that you can then optimize. And then three, because if you ever need to bring anybody on board, you need systems that will work that they can follow so that the you know, experience of your customer is exactly the same as what they would be getting from you. So it justifies the prices that you're charging and then of course it allows you to grow and keep track of all the things that you're doing because if you just do things on instinct that may work for you in the short term and it may work while you're the size you're at now but as soon as you start to grow as you felt Trish that all of a sudden becomes a huge weight on your shoulders and the more systematized things become the easier they are to accomplish and track so absolutely before you have big plans to grow Make sure you systematize and then as you're doing that, track everything and write it down for a standard operating procedure, which basically just means these are the steps that get taken in order to do this task. And you want those things to be as specific as you can, because if you ever need to onboard somebody or use those in order for somebody to take over an aspect of your business, you don't want there to be any confusion in what website they're supposed to go to, what their login should be, how they should be tracking what they're doing, their hours, where they should copy and paste. All of those things need to be as clear as possible so that you can hand those over with confidence and you can make decisions on you know, optimization, which is something I'm gonna mention a little bit towards the end of the conversation, but super, super important. Build those systems, test those systems, optimize those systems, and if you are, as we mentioned earlier, if you need to bring on a manager before you scale, 
that's a fantastic thing to be able to go over with them because they will be able to help you manage and optimize your systems for growth. So definitely making sure we keep those things in mind. Fantastic. Go ahead, Kat. I've been a note on um, something that Trish mentioned, and it was sort of at the end, like the one bite at a time piece. Um, that's actually really quite huge in, in scaling is, you know, it, it's okay. If I need a studio manager, I need to create systems, right? And many of us avoid, you know, creating those SOPs because it's such a time suck and we're in motion. We already need help. We need to find a studio manager. We don't have time to create SOPs. So it becomes this big whole thing, but understanding like, okay, if I'm bringing a studio manager on, I need to make sure that they understand systems. And what are those systems that they need to know? They need to know how I schedule. They need to know the client process from, you know, the second that there's a, a communication touch point all the way through to delivery and follow-up. Are you creating, you know, mailing lists based on how people are purchasing from you? Are you rewarding clients? What is your process for gifting to clients? What is your process for newsletters? What is your, like, everything and so you create these little projects of okay well if i'm going to bring in a studio manager i know i need sops for x y and z and then i have to train them so what does training look like am i creating videos for them to watch on their own time or are we training hands-on if we're training hands-on what does scheduling look like like understand like scaling is not something that occurs overnight and that it's Definitely, if you're a one-man show, it's going to take a couple years to really get it where you need it to be, let alone bringing on associate photographers, right? Or having other people write for you. Or, you know, are you creating a retail line? If I'm creating a retail line, what does that look like? What are the... And that's not something that's going to go, okay, well, by uh, Feb 1, we should be good. Like Feb 1 of 2024, maybe, if you're starting today. And understanding that they're just mini projects that build on one another so that you can create the support and the infrastructure that you need in order for any of it to be sustainable. Ooh, good stuff, guys. Good stuff. And before we hear from Carol, I just want to say really quickly, we haven't mentioned this yet. If you're looking at scaling and you're looking at the investment that goes into scaling, I would highly encourage you to become an LLC because if that investment, this, if this is your first time doing this and that investment does go wonky, the financial repercussions happen to the LLC and not to you. And of course, none of us want to lose our business or anything like that, but you are going to be taking a risk and you're going to be investing your time and money. And so you want to make sure that you are protected and an LLC or an S corp, is going to give you protection that you will not have as a sole proprietor, including the fact that once you start taking on employees and you have to start tracking their wages and making sure that they have the option for medical benefits and all of the other things that are required by where you live, things are about to get a lot more complicated and you want to be protected. So consider that um, if scaling up is a big thing that you want to do. Okay. Let's hear from Carol and then Joshua and then Erica. Hello. Hi. Um, going back to what Bassam said, I was trying to, there's a lot of translating going on in my mind uh, or trying to figure out how to. Um, so for an artist, the, the framework, the one, two, three, like he said, um, for me would be what photographing, framing and matting and then clerical social media um i'm i'm trying to you know sort of work that out but uh, i have more questions um the other thing know your numbers i'm gonna assume what it costs you to operate and and produce uh uh earning a livable wage and then um SEO, SOP. Okay, standard operating procedure. SEO, I knew what it was until I heard SOP, and now I can't think of what that is. So anyway, um, it sounds like you guys may have passed um, rooms 
that covered some of the, maybe know your numbers, maybe that was when I first came in. You guys talked a little bit about that, but I'm not sure. Systems, yes, I want to know. I'm at the point of trying to figure out how you set up a system, much less what's in it. Carol, I'm done speaking. Thank you. Okay, awesome. Bassam, do you want to maybe clarify from somebody's perspective that maybe in Carol's shoes, an artist who's trying to get some of these things off the ground, what are the business numbers that they need to know in order to move forward? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot there that Carol talked about there. So let's just take that first chunk first uh, about the business numbers. Well, your business numbers is really getting a clarity about first of all what does what today what that you know what does it take for you to be in business what does it cost you to be in business right and that includes things that even before you start having customers even if you don't have customers what does it take to be in business whether it's costs related to accounting whether it's a cost relating to having a website whether it's software purchases whether it's insurance for your business things that are there fundamentally Equipment, for example, brushes. Including you know. your own salary, right? Right, right. so that's the first that. thing. So part of it is, yes, a fixed cost there is any people you're going to have. And you're the you're number one, right? So you got to pay yourself. So that has to be included in, if I was to run a business, I need to be able to pay my bills that are there, whether, whether I have customers or not. I need to be able to pay myself or any staff I have. But right, right now, I assume it's just myself. And... Uh, so, so that kind of becomes your step one, right? And there may be some investment there because some of those things you may not have in place, like certain equipment or, or software or so on. Next step becomes, right, um, what is my potential for income, right? What, what, what am I looking at in terms of volume of work I'm going to do, how many days a year I want to work, uh, you know, enable, for me to be able to break even on those costs that we talked about, meaning pay my bills, pay myself and and just break even, meaning I have enough income coming in to pay for those. So, so that's kind of the minimum. It's not even viable, but it's at least it's the minimum to be in business. And then based on that, you say, okay, over and above that, if I want to have a profitable business, how much more volume do I need to do based on what I just, you know, based on what I you know, based on the, you know, what I charge per event or per photo shoot or per piece of art or so on. So uh, once you have your costs under, you know, once you have, you know what your costs are, you know what your break even point is, then you say, okay, what am I capable of doing to, or what do I need to be profitable and what am I capable of doing, right? So I need, for example, let me just put numbers. So if it costs me $20,000 to be in business, from a, without my salary, let's say I want to pay myself $40,000. That's $60,000 of costs that I have to cover. So I have to price myself, do enough photo shoots or sell enough pieces of art to cover that 60. But to be profitable, I need 30% profit. I have to pay taxes on that, so on and so forth. I'm going to have to do that much more volume for me to be viable. That's kind of knowing your numbers. And then once you talk about volume of work, then there's another cost that comes into play, which is the cost of goods sold, which is the cost related to any work you do versus the costs that are there, whether you do work or not, if you follow what I'm saying. So my studio costs are there, my rent is there, my, 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 my Photoshop subscriptions are there, whether I do a photo shoot or not. But my makeup artist cost is not in there unless I do a photo shoot. So what is the equivalent of that for you, Carol, or whoever whoever's doing this exercise? So every time I sell a piece of art, well, I have to buy paint. I have, you know, I have to, whatever I do that the customer walks away with is cost of goods sold. So that has to be considered. So I can go on forever, but those are the types of things that you got to have a handle on and say, this is what my number, this is what my numbers look like. This is what a viable business would look like. Therefore, you can move on to the next steps that you mentioned. Okay, well, what systems do I have to place? What are the three or four most important processes for me to run this business? And then how do I go about, you know, putting those processes in place? I'm going to stop there um, and see where it goes. Outstanding. 
Okay, so yes, we, we have talked about knowing your numbers in the past, and that is going to be available. Um, if you look back through the replays, you will see in the business, the Mastering the Business of Art, huge section that we did in December. That's in there. It goes into a pretty good amount of detail. So anybody who's in that place, I would encourage you to go check those out. But that was a really great breakdown, Basam. And we need to be knowing those things before we can make any decisions about what scaling actually looks like. And then Carol, SEO means search engine optimization. So that has to do with helping search engines know how to catalog you, where to put you and who to direct to your websites, et cetera. So I hope that um, answered the bulk of those questions. And then we wanna make, oh, okay, perfect. And then we wanna make sure we hear from Joshua and then Erica. Joshua, do we have you? Are you there? Oh, yep, there we yep. go. Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I'm, I'm in Home Depot. It might be a little loud in the background. Um, so the scaling up is something that, that is like on the forefront of what we're looking at. You know, we run a high volume studio. We're looking at either franchising or opening multiple locations this year. And um, interestingly, the, on the photography side, we didn't really have an issue with that early on. Um, when we first opened our studio, I had never shot a client outside of my wife. And so I didn't really have any procedures in place um, because I'd never shot any clients. And so from the very early on, what we did was we just, I sat down with the, the two photographers I originally hired and, and you know, everyone I've done since. Um, and we just went through a series of shots, kind of uh, figured out what worked best for our studio. And then we do that once each quarter because we change our sets each quarter. Um, and then basically we put together kind of a, a quick, um, uh, shot list that each of our photographers can review each quarter and they know how to shoot each of those sets whenever our customers come in. Our issue is as we are looking at scaling, um, isn't on the photography side, it isn't on the systems side as for our general operations, it's on how do we scale building out these custom sets that my wife you know, comes up with when we work with all these different local artists um, to execute them. And while you know that works great while we're in our location in Orlando, but if we are opening a location in Tampa or Atlanta or Phoenix or, or anywhere else, being able to access those resources to be able to execute those designs um, while also while also allowing for some local flair from local artists to be involved. And so there just seems like there's so many moving parts to be able to provide a quality um, uh, install while also allowing for the flexibility of like the local flair of local artists being able to participate. So that's the, the bridge we're trying to cross. Oh yeah, so that sounds like it's gonna have kind of its own entire set of, uh, of issues that comes with it. And I would think that that, depending on you know what route you take, if y'all franchise or if you just open up new locations, um, I would think that there would really need to be a great system in place for that. I know you mentioned systems haven't really been a problem, but even for hiring, I think, um, and contracting labor and, and contracting people long-term, if you're looking for artists that really can provide the kind of sets you want, I would think that that probably would need to become systematized as well, particularly if you franchise. So you know that those, whoever opens up the franchise in whatever city um, has a set of criteria that they can use in order to judge who they're having come in and build some of their sets. So um, is that, do you think that's something that you can, because obviously I know I, you've said before, you do a lot of the, the planning for safety and stuff, but you hire the local artists to actually do the builds. Right. My wife generally comes up with the designs. Uh, we work with local artists to execute them. And then I'm like the safety officer and I go through and say, you know, great. I love this proper way that this is done. But unfortunately, this will either A, get destroyed or B, could be a safety hazard. Right. Okay. So it sounds like, it sounds like then the thing would, the thing to do would be to look at whatever y'all do now and systematize that part of it. So in the new locations, you can say, look, here's how we walk through coming up with the designs, here's what we look for in the artists, here's how you have to go through the safety procedures, et cetera, et cetera. That way you can start contracting locally in those places and they have a good set of procedures to use. But of course the difficulty is gonna become what quality of artists are there in the area. So that's gonna be an interesting one to tackle. And I don't have any good advice for that one, um, but I would think you know having those criteria in place is probably a good place to start for whatever the next steps are in, in hiring those contractors. 
Yep, I mean, that's, that's pretty much where, where we've landed and where we're stuck. Um, I, I will uh, offer one piece of advice, though, um, for people who are, who are starting to systematize, because um, that can be really daunting, it can be overwhelming, it can, and it can prevent you from getting started. Um, each time I hire somebody, um, I have them um, write down what their procedures are. Um, you know, like they'll, they'll, we'll, we'll go over a, a initial you know, overview of like opening procedures, closing procedures, um, but I have them go through and write their own copy down after they've been with us for a little period of time. And that helps me to keep things refreshed. And it can also be a great way to start things, right? Like, I mean, you want to have some very base things down, um, you know, like how to answer the phone or whatever. Um, but I'm constantly asking my employees to help me to keep those documents updated so it's not solely on me. Um, and so what I'll do in a slower period of time, I'll have each photographer um, you know, create their checklist of their procedure for doing A, B, C, or D. Um, and that way I can compare everybody's notes compared to what we're already doing and see if there's an area where we can improve either in efficiency um, or in effectiveness of, of how we're operating. Oh, that's such good stuff. And it yeah, should always start with you. Like from the, the, the day you're looking at scaling, the first thing you have to do is you have to document how you replace yourself um, because ultimately like once you're scaling your business and other people are involved like somebody needs to be able to step up and, and fill your shoes so that either a you can move on and, and work in other parts of the, the business or b if something would happen to you the business can carry on without you yes Ooh, so many good truth bombs in this episode y'all dang i love it okay let's get to erica good morning miss lady what are your thoughts can you hear me? A little bit. You broke up a little bit there, but go ahead. All right. Uh, I have a poor connection, so hopefully I, all of this gets out. Um, on its telling I have a uh, poor connection again. Can you hear me? You're definitely a little bit wonky. It's kind of coming in and out. All right. Now, next nope. to the room. now you're gone entirely. <laughs> Oh, okay. Let's give that a minute. Just jump back in when you Is get to an area or if you can go ahead. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Hello. Hello. Yeah, we got, we got you. Okay. All right. Let me try this. Um, as somebody who, um, in the past, of course, I love systems. I had a system in place years ago to start scaling up and I hired somebody. I just want to give some advice based on some failures I had. Um, I, you know, I had a system in place to scale up and I had systems that my uh, assistant was to follow and I trained them and I thought things were good to go. What I did not have a system for were checks and balances to ensure that what she was doing was correct. Um, and I'd often find out way too late in the process, you know, and there were some very costly things involved. So my recommendation is as you're building those systems to scale up, to hire somebody, um, also have systems in place that will check their work in an efficient way. So you're not basically doubling up. And, th and that's where I'm at right now is tr trying to figure out a way to ensure that what is being done by somebody else is done correctly without me having to check every little single thing that they're doing because um, that's where I've been burned in the past. So just a little bit of advice. Ooh, yeah, that's super important. So let me explain a little bit about what that might look like. Imagine I hand you a roadmap to get to San Francisco and you're looking at the directions and when it gets to a specific city, there's a big sign that says, stop, call me, <laughs> right? So when you've gotten to this point in the process, it's time for a review. So if you are an artist and you are licensing your name to other artists, before they send the initial sketch to the client, they have to show you that sketch. So they have to get a hold of you and say, hey, here's the initial sketch. You give them the feedback and then things go ahead. Or before a blog post gets published, they have to do all of these things, run it through Grammarly, have somebody proof, whatever, whatever, and then it goes ahead. So you can absolutely build those checks and balances into the standard operating procedures for those tasks to make sure that those things are happening properly. And it all depends on what your processes already are. So 
when you book somebody, this is then what you need to do. You need to make sure I haven't done whatever first. So just think of it in that way as a way that you can kind of halt progress. These are where the check-in points need to be, or these are where the balances need to be in order to make sure that we're not, like you said, Erica, doubling up on work or that these things get approved before they move forward. And that does require you to know your business really well before you, uh, before you write them out. Gonna and then you that. will have to oh, test sorry. them. Yeah, go ahead, Basam. Yeah, I thought you were finished. Uh, yeah, I'd just like to add to that because you, you, uh, you, you bring up a very important way of doing it, uh, Nicole, which is, you know, puts, you know, st you, know you do not pass go until you call me and tell me what's going on or show me the, the draft or whatever it is, meaning they actually have to have an action where you can do the check and balance or the quality control. I'd like to add to that also metrics because one way to keep the, the track of things without being there is to put metrics at the right place. And, and when I break down a process of, of, of value creation in a company, you know, there's let's say four or five phases. At the end of each phase, you have to decide, well, you know, what is, how do you define success there? And what are the one, two or three things I wanna measure? So as an example, I'll just give a, a very simple example. If you have somebody answering clients for you, and we, we talked about non-negotiables and, and processes. And let's say you say, you must answer every, uh, every uh, email you get from a client within 30 minutes. So if that's important to you, a way to put checks and balances is to have a way to measure every single phone call or every single email and was it answered within those 30 minutes. They don't have to check with you. They don't have to give you, you know, stop and tell you, hey, I did it. But you start measuring that, that 30 minutes and you see trends. And when it's starting to get off track, then you can go back as fast as possible at the, you know, early on in, 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 that, in that thing going off track and following up with your employee and making sure that they, they put corrective action in place. So have the right measures in place so that you can see trends, either positive or negative trends, which allow you to react, uh, sorry, act as opposed to react. Ooh, that's so important. And it actually brings up another thing that we probably should mention for people who are looking at scaling where it includes hiring somebody or bringing in a contractor and that is KPIs. So key performance indicators. So you need to know what a successful job looks like. So when they come in, let's say you want to hire a social media manager, you can't just hand over your Instagram in there. There you go, go do a thing. Um, and all of a sudden by the end of a quarter, they've lost 300 followers and the click-through rate is crap and all of these things. So you need to know what success looks like for those employees. So you can say, you know, the, for this quarter, we need 3000 more subscribers. Our click-through rates need to be at 27%. I'm just making things up, but you need to know those things so that you can track whether or not they're doing what they should be doing. Um, so on that note, I just want to give time for final thoughts. It is final thoughts time on scaling up your business. What do y'all think people should be walking away from this conversation with? Nobody, nobody has final thoughts. Y'all. Sorry, I couldn't get to my mic. I couldn't get to my mic. No worries. Um. <laughs> I think first and foremost is defining what success looks like for you just in general, like what your success looks like. And if scaling is a part of that, what a successful scale might be, right? For some, some people that might be, you know, like hiring an assistant so that they can focus on the money-making tasks, right? So they can generate more revenue on their own and have somebody else handle the minutia, right? The, the general bookkeeping, the admin, the studio cleaning, like all of the things. Um, and for somebody else, right, like Joshua might be several locations with, you know, curated local artist influence on backdrops that his wife designs in a, in a safe way for their clients so that they can really be just chop, 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 go, go, go. Um, <clears throat> and for others, it might be having an associate photographer in house so that they can focus on maybe higher dollar creative offerings and have somebody else manage the local headshots, personal branding, family portrait, everyday stuff um, while they create that, that creative flow. 
understanding, and I'm speaking purely as a photographer here, that might look completely different from an artist's perspective or an author's perspective, um, but the different levels of that are the same, right? Having somebody else clone you, right? Or create and diversify your, your retail offerings. Um, understanding what that is for you is gonna be your guidepost for all of the how. Absolutely. I know we've talked about clarity several times, but that is such an important part of what we're doing, y'all. Being able to understand what we want, what it looks like, not just now, but in the long term. We need to know those things if we're going to make any forward progress that is actually progress and not just change. Anybody else, anything else you want to add? Any other final thoughts on scaling up your business? I, I think if I was to resume everything with one word, it would be uh, one word related to scaling up your business. It would be structure, right? Because it's easy to work um, without structure, but you're going to hit that wall at one point where you can't grow anymore. So whatever form of structuring your business is right for you, it is the thing to do if you want to scale up your business, right? Um, what structure do I have to put in place? so that it's repeatable, it's consistent, and it's uh, independent, meaning I don't have to be there for it to work properly. It doesn't mean you're not gonna be there, it just means you don't have to be there. Ooh, good stuff. All right, so I'm gonna start closing us down, and I'm gonna begin that by saying, if scalable, if scaling your business, if this is not something you want to do, if you don't want to grow, but you want to make more income, you generally have two options. You charge more and you optimize, right? So charging more for some of us can be really intimidating. We might believe that we're already at the edge of what we can charge in our market. Whether that's true or not, hint, it's probably not, um, but it entirely depends on your market. As I mentioned before, I'm not gonna get away with selling an ebook for $50 or $100. That is just not something the market will bear. Customers do not expect that to show up in the marketplace. On an individual commission base, maybe that's something that I can do, but for that particular market, it's just not gonna fly. So if I can't do that and I can't charge more, then what can I do? Well, I can optimize my systems. I can get rid of a lot of the fat. I can go lean. I can make sure that my operating costs are as low as possible so that I keep more of that income. Or I can expand what I offer and where I offer it. And this is where for a lot of artists, for a lot of us freelancers, this is where the money starts to happen. We can do the things that Becca mentioned before. We can, maybe we're not necessarily scaling up in terms of making a bigger business with more people. We're scaling up in terms of what we can offer and where we can offer it. So if I have a lot of um, hand painted pieces that I have done, that need to be sold in person. Is that something I can make a print of? Can I make prints of that that then sell? Can I take those prints and put them on clothing and then sell that clothing? Can I do it on household goods as well? Can those prints go on cups or on, you know, shelving units? Or are there ways that I can take that work and maximize its profitability by offering more things that use that one individual piece? And where can I do that? And recognize that when you start doing that, it may seem like, great, this is a passive stream of income. It's not true. There is no such thing as a passive stream of income. You will still have to market those things. You do still need to let people know that those offerings exist. You can't just make a store on Zapier and go there. Now I'm going to start making money. People need to know that that store exists. It has to have its own funnel. It has to have marketing people need to be able to know that it's there so they can show up and get it and whether you are the one who is doing the marketing or whether you are outsourcing that marketing or whether you are funneling people from your website to the store or whatever you're doing people still need to know that it's there so this idea of passive income isn't necessarily a thing because people still need to be able to find you less work absolutely it's going to take you less work and maybe you can even optimize that so it takes you not as much time but it's still gonna require some effort. So there are always going to be limits to 
either the growth that you're having or your ability to sustain or maintain that is going to end at a certain point. So you need to know what that looks like and be comfortable with the fact that that's going to happen. So keep those things in mind. And then we've had fantastic advice so far as far as making sure that you're systematizing things, that you're very clear on your goals, that you understand what success looks like for you, that you've got a really solid understanding of your numbers, what they are and what they're gonna have to be if you scale, that you're making plans for protecting yourself. I mentioned potentially becoming an LLC if you're not one or an S Corp, depending on what you wanna do, but those things will protect you from the, the finances of the business if something does go drastically wrong. So there's a lot to keep in mind, but I hope that this was a helpful episode because this is something that many of us will look at after we've been in business for a few years and we recognize that we can't sustain what we're doing forever and we don't want to give up our business, but we need to be able to have that safety, that freedom, that long-term security of knowing if I get sick or if something happens, my business is still going to run, we're still taken care of. So also want to encourage everybody who's here join us tonight at 7 p.m mountain standard time that's 6 p.m for the west coast and 9 p.m for the east coast for the live stream it's going to be in the facebook group and on youtube on nicole creates on youtube um as well as on the artist forge page we're going to be going live of course talking about a lot of the things we've already discussed over the last week plus of course visual literacy and the big one we're going to be announcing the winner of the artist forge mentor scholarship that is included um, for an hour per month for the first quarter so that's three hours for two people we've went ahead and selected two folks so we want to be able to do as much good as possible um, so we hope you'll come in and join us for that come hang out and chat with us and congratulate uh, the winners of the scholarship provided by atelier unforgettable with cat ford coats so come and hang out with us for that and in the meantime, go hang out in the Facebook group. Amazing things are always going on in there. We've had some people share some really beautiful art. So go give them some feedback. And join us tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. That is 6 a.m. for the West Coast, 9 a.m. for the East Coast afternoon. For our friends overseas, listen to the replays, head to the website, check out the blog posts and the podcasts that are up so you can re-listen to all this good stuff. And join us tomorrow morning. And in the meantime, make something amazing. Have a great day. We'll see you later. Thanks again for listening to this live clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at the Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.